Thanks for tuning in to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm T. Lusk, the college and young adults pastor here at Rolling Hills. And we're so glad that you've joined us today for the third week in our series called The One. Today, you're going to hear from Pastor Nick, our pastor at the Nashville campus. We're going to be diving into Ephesians 5 and exploring what it means to stay in love and what God truly has for us in marriage. Now enjoy the sermon. That's incredible. Congratulations, you guys. It really has been a fun journey, and we know that it's really just the beginning of all the great things um, that God is going to continue to do here. So the year for me was 1997. Um, Some of y'all are like, I don't even remember 1997. Y2K happened, and I had a reset on my life, and I don't remember anything that happened before that. Well, I do. 1997, I went to a camp on the coast of North Carolina, and I, along with several of my buddies who were working there for just a short-term few weeks, were making our way through the cafeteria, and we saw a line of girl staffers for that particular Christian camp in the summer uh, working and serving the food, and my eyes did not get past the sweet tea before my friend Josh and I noticed at the exact same time a girl named Susan Kofer standing at the end. And we both wanted to meet her. Now, he, being shyer than I, was not convinced that he could. And I was like, watch this. So I made my way down the line of staffers asking a series of questions. Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? Where do you go to school? Oh, what's your major? That's cool. You got a boyfriend? And, and if you ask all five of them that, it's not awkward when you get to the end and you muster up the courage when she says, no, not right now, to say, do you want one? <laughs> because <laughs> something cool was kind of happening. Now, it didn't all start right there, but sooner than later, Susan and I um, began a friendship that turned into a dating relationship and defining the relationship, which turned into an engagement and then going straight from cap and gown to wedding gown. And here we were married and we've celebrated the last 20 years, knowing that God's been up to something the whole time. Sometimes you look back on your story and you look back on it and you realize it was just this incremental moment, moment after moment after moment after moment, building and crescendoing to the end. And then all of a sudden, wow, that part of my journey started here and ended here. And sometimes you look back on your story and realize that it was a series of peaks and valleys, a big high moments that were really, really grand and then really, really low moments that were really, really difficult. When we got married, we started our ministry journey at a church plant in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I served there as a youth pastor year one through year five. And, and I came to Rolling Hills in 2007 to be the youth pastor serving in Rolling Hills timeline from year five to now year 18 and various roles along the way. The challenge for us was that in between those two church planting journeys, was a two-year stint of real difficult season in Florida, because everything bad happens there. I'm just kidding. It's a great place. But for us, it was difficult. It was a challenging season. You look back over your story, and you, you, you think some of the same consistent things. This campus of Rolling Hills, it got here Um, through some really long stories with lots of mountain peaks and lots of valley lows. The people of Belmont Heights Baptist Church and the people of Park Avenue Baptist Church had incredible seasons of incredible ministry and really high peak days, and they also had pieces of difficult journey along the way. And somehow or another, through that story, through the narrative of the good and the difficult and the good and the difficult and the the, the good and the challenging, God saw fit to link up these three churches to form what we have today 
as the Nashville campus. And we'll continue to look back on that story through the years to come. We'll continue to dive into that story and reflect back on all the great things God did. And we will, as a church, see really great mountain days like our first Sunday together over at Belmont University when the people of Park Avenue came there and we ate breakfast together and we celebrated and it was a really great moment when we crescendoed up and we look forward to this idea of grand opening in the month of March and then we had a tornado and COVID all wrapped up together. And that seems about five years worth of gray hairs ago. But we know that it's really only been a few months. One day we'll look back and see this as just a season, but it will be an important season. What's your story? How did, how did not we get, how did you get here? How, how did you become part of this? How did you come to observe this? Where are you from? Where do you go to school? What's your major? Do you have a boyfriend? Like, what are all the questions and the parts of your stories that make you you. Because every single one of this, this is in your worship guide notes today, if you're following along on the app or you're diving in on the little printed out form, like here's, here's what I know, that your story is really, really important. In fact, you are the product of all of your yesterdays. Your story really matters. The, the good parts, the relational parts, the difficult parts, the challenging parts, all of them help determine who you are right now. Paul said in his letter to Philippians, and we studied that this summer, like that he said these words, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. He had a story. He had circumstances. He had high plenty days, and he had really low in need days. He had a story the way that you and I have a story. We have high need days, and we have high peak days. And every single one of those yesterdays helps compose who we are today, but none of that past holds you hostage and prevents you from moving on to what God has for you in the future. Because just like you are determined by all of your yesterdays, your tomorrow is never defined by your past. Who you are tomorrow and where God takes you tomorrow doesn't have to be defined by all those yesterdays because we have hope in God. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what we want for this church, for this community, for this neighborhood, for this city, for this world is to be a place of hope. That there is grace, that there is joy, that there is peace, that there is hope. And there's always a constant opportunity to move ahead on the journey that God has for you and to be new. And that's a really good thing considering where we've been in 2020 and where it looks like we're going. You guys ever wake up with a song in your head? Not like first thing in the morning, but like in the middle of the night. Maybe it was God of the Impossible this week because we put it out on our social media and we put it out on our website and we put it out in all of our venues and we sang it this morning and we're going to see it again later in the service because our worship team released that song this week and it's a really good reminder that our God is a God of the Impossible. For me, Tuesday morning at 4 a.m., it was not God of the Impossible. It was a little song from the movie Annie that goes like this. Yesterday, it was plain awful. I, was, I told myself I wasn't going to sing it, but I don't know that I can recite the lyrics if I don't. Yesterday, it was plain awful. You can say that again. You feel like that way in 2020. Don't lie. Yesterday was plain awful, but that's not now. That's then. And that song, along with these message notes, was playing over and over and over in my head, and I continued to think about those lyrics all day long, understanding that just because yesterday was hard, 
Just because the yesterdays were difficult, just because the story behind you is marked with failure and heartache and pain and difficulty does not mean that there's not still hope for tomorrow. In fact, the Bible is full of moments of difficulty that erupted in hope. The book of Lamentations is maybe one of the most difficult passages of Scripture. It's literally a song of lament over and over and over, marking a time in Israel's history that they would have just as soon forgot. And yet still, even that book has glimmers and pieces of hope. Chapter 3, verse 25 says this, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. So regardless of the story that's behind you, wherever you've been your whole life or just the last six long months of life, here's what we know. We want this to be a place of hope. And we want to be a, a people of hope. We want to seek the God of hope And we want this to be a place of hope-fueled transformation for everybody that would make their way in these doors. If this is your first time here, what we hope you walk away with today is, wow, that was a hope-filled place. It it may not be the coolest place. It may not be the edgiest place. It may not be the, well, we want it to be the safest place. It it may not feel emotionally like this. Whatever it feels like today, what we want you to walk away with is that this is a place of hope and this is a people of hope. Our mission statement as a church is, is pretty cool. It's Rolling Hills Community Church. It exists, oh yeah, you can read it there, to bring glory to God by reaching people for Christ and nurturing them in faith through inspired worship, genuine community, and passionate ministry that transforms lives in our neighborhood and throughout the world. That's, that's a hope-filled statement. And we teach through series um, here on Sunday mornings. Like we go through whole series. And sometimes that series is based on a book of the Bible. Like this summer we went through the book of Acts. Or sometimes uh, Old Testament or New Testament. We just pick books of the Bible. We go through them verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And sometimes those sermon series on Sunday mornings are all about a theme like Christmas or Easter. You know, you got to hit those. Or even just a theme like forgiveness or joy. And sometimes those sermon series are based on a really key character like David in the Old Testament or Paul like we talked about a lot this summer in the New Testament or Esther or Ruth or any number of the incredible females in scripture. Or sometimes we just spend a whole lot of time talking about Jesus. In fact, this summer we've been in, as we've closed out August and headed into September, we've been in a series called The One. It's all about dating and marriage. You know, that's right. And I know, I know some people, they, they, they go to church looking for the one. I mean, I went to a Christian camp and found the one. Sometimes people are, are looking at church for the one. And I don't imagine that any of you, when I see you with your phones on a Sunday morning, and I think you're going through the app and you're checking out the notes. I don't think you're swiping right or left and looking in any sort of different direction. But I see the eyes going right or left. Huh. And I see the eyes journey down to that, that ring finger to try to figure out, like, I wonder if there's a ring on that. You can't see somebody's whole face because, you know, we're in COVID mask season, so I can't help you there. You just have to base it on the eyes um, and go from there. Like, they're, they're, this not a bad place to, to meet someone. I know that that's part of life, and, and, and we certainly want to be that vehicle of hope if that's what you're looking for. But we've been in this series on the idea of what it means to have a godly dating and a godly marriage relationship in this culture and in this day and this age. We've bounced around from different passages of scripture, and today we're going to land specifically in Ephesians chapter 5. And if you want to go ahead and like pre-turn your Bibles there, maybe it'll take you a second to find it. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. But 
In that book, this letter to a church at Ephesus, Paul is explaining over and over and over again, hey, guys, this is what it means to have Jesus Christ be your only source of hope and salvation in life. And right at the beginning, he sets for us a goal in this letter that really is the goal of all of Scripture. It's this, that our goal as believers in Jesus Christ and as a community of faith and as a church in this day and age, our goal is to know him and then live in him. Chapter one of the book of Ephesians, you don't have to go there because you're gonna square yourself off in chapter five. It says this, Paul writes, I pray, like his whole purpose in this letter, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And then you go towards the end of that book at the beginning of chapter five and he says these words, follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. That once your heart is enlightened and once you have found the hope and the joy to which Christ has called you, you're gonna live every day seeking out that purpose for your life by following the example of Jesus Christ. That word walk in scripture is literally the word peripateo and it does mean physical walking, one foot in front of the other. I've got a pedometer that's gonna tell me at the end of these sermons this morning how far I've walked and chances are good. If I pace a little bit more, I'm going to hit my 10,000 steps and earn my nap this afternoon because peripateo is literally just walking. But it means something else in scripture. It means how you conduct yourself and the way that you ultimately live your life, the choices that you make and the words that you speak and how you spend yourself. There's a pattern of walking. We get that in the book of 1 John chapter 2 when he writes, whoever claims to live in him, if we're going to live in Jesus, we have to live as Jesus did. Some of your Bible translations say walk as Jesus did. I wish I had a pedometer for that. That would kind of give me a a daily measurement like, hey, Nicholas, you've only been kind. I just said Nicholas like my mom was in the room. (laughs) Nick, I go by Nick. Okay, so hey, Nick, um, you've been kind four times today. You need to step it up. It's time to get up and move. And I get a little reminder on my watch at like the 50th minute of every hour. So like at 9.50 and 10.50 and 11.50, it's going to buzz a little bit and say, hey, get up and get moving. Like I wish I had that in my life when it came to Christ-likeness. Hey, get up, walk like Jesus. Be kind, show love. Share truth. Fill the space up where you're in with joy. That'd be a really great pedometer. Not just the number of steps I take every day in daily life physically, but the number of steps I take in daily life every day to be like Jesus. Living and loving like him is the whole goal. And so if you boil it down into where we've been in that series called The One, this idea of relationships, Ephesians chapter 5 has a lot to say to us. And if you go to verse 21, it says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We just came off this big section that was all about, hey, these are the sins that you should stay away of, if, stay away from, if you want your life to look like Jesus. And so therefore submit yourselves, you belong together as a church, as a body of believers, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what we know is, is that if we're going to live and walk and love like Jesus did, it's going to include big time layers of humble submission. A humble submission to, to, to all the one another's in our life. And then we get super myopic and super specific and we're going to dive into that marriage relationship. But what we know is that if we are living lives of humble submission to one another, it's to help us seek the good, the, the common good for all people around us. 
Jeremiah 29, 7 says this, Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Hey, this really dark valley of a circumstance, this part of your story that's going to be really hard, while you're in the middle of that, you need to seek the good of all of the people that live there. Pray to the Lord for it. Here you go. Pray to the Lord for your captors. Why? Because if that city prospers, you will prosper too. Believers in Jesus Christ, me right here, we, we are to be about the common good for all the people around us, even the people that don't look and act and believe like us. And I don't know if you've been under a rock. If you have, maybe it's time to come out. We culturally as Christians in, in society and in the world and according to the media, we are not always known for, hey, I don't want to shatter anybody's earth. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Here we go. We are not always known for seeking the good of all people. Sometimes, more, more prominently and more evidently out there in the world, we're known for seeking the good of ourselves. People that look like us, believe like us, talk like us, walk like us. But living our lives of humble submission praying for the good of the city, the people that we live among, we should be known as people who, who seek the common good of everybody. We're going to live lives in humble submission as we seek the common good of everyone. And then ultimately, as we represent the gospel, the, the gospel good news story of Jesus Christ, and that's where it gets real specific, and that's where in some places it gets a little bit hard to hear because in verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Wives, whoo, feel like I need to stand. Okay, I'm just going to stand over here because I'm reading God's words, not mine. Don't shoot your darts this way. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And then husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And just in case anybody is clueless about what Paul is talking about here when Christ gave himself for her, he sacrificed his life. And so you want to get real deep in the context here. What he's saying is husbands, be willing to lay down your lives for her. He goes on to close out this section of scripture before you head into chapter 6 for the crash landing of the whole book. And he says this in verse 32, this mystery, this mystery, this idea of marriage as a reference for the gospel, this mystery is profound. But here you go. I don't want you to be left in the dark. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. He says this, the mystery is profound, but in case you miss the illustration, I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband so that we can paint a picture of Jesus and the gospel and the church and hope. It's a mystery, but somehow in our relationships with one another, we are to portray hope. This section of scripture causes a whole lot of trouble for pastors and Bible study writers, and it gets people in deep. In fact, just reading the words out loud, I would imagine that there are some people in here going, okay, if that's what kind of church this is, I'm not coming back. I'm never going to listen to that guy anymore. I'm going to get my free snow cone today, and I'm going to leave. I really hope the snow cone truck gets here. Like, I think I can see them when they pull up in the back, and we're going to be so excited to celebrate our grand opening that way. You see me taking your mind off of the idea of submission by talking about snow cones? That was smooth. It's this, this, this picture of what ultimately Scripture says. 
But if you back up for a minute, minute, what I I want it to communicate is a characteristic about what we believe as a church and what we understand to be true about Scripture. It's this. The Bible often says something other than what we think. Sometimes Scripture's talking about something different than what you think it's talking about. Sometimes there's a metaphor or an illustration or a word study that helps you understand something different. Now, this is one of those places. It's not even the most interesting of those places, but we'll dive in there today. You know the word head in this passage of Scripture? It's the Greek word kephale, and if you type kephale into your Google document, they're going to correct it to keyhole, so just be really careful there. Kephale, and it literally does mean physical head right? And and if we were taking this passage literally, it'd be a real fun Adobe Photoshop idea to just like literally take the head of the husband and to put it on the body of the wife. That'd be like a really funny illustration to do. Like we've done that in some way, just making a big joke. Like, no, that's not the case. Like, wait a minute, there's there's something more at play here. We're not just talking about a physical head, and that's because every word in Scripture, if you take it from the original Hebrew language and the original Greek language, they often mean more than one thing. This word kephale in Scripture doesn't just mean like physical head, the thing that's on top of your neck. It, it also means authority. It also means prominent, like it's the, the most characteristic thing about a person, like it's the thing that you see first. It's prominent. It also means source of life. So what if we were to look at this specific passage of Scripture and read it a little bit differently and think about this relationship more than being just an organizational chart and more about being a source of hope? In fact, what if this whole book, the Bible, that a lot of people see as just one big cosmic rule book, and instead of seeing it as a list of rules and regulations, we saw it as a source of life? What if this for us was better understood as a source of life? That's certainly what Christ is for us as the church, and predominantly what a husband should be for his wife, and ultimately what they should mutually submit to one another to be for each other, regardless of how a family lands, regardless of the dynamic that plays out in your home and the relational hierarchy and the relational responsibilities. I I know, husbands, that the idea of respect get us, it gets us in trouble because somehow we think that submission and we think that headship, we think that respect grants us authority in life, especially when we're called to be Christ in these moments. Here's the deal. Christ doesn't need us imitating his authority until we first mimic his humility. Probably going to tweet that later. Jesus Christ doesn't need us stepping in to live out our lives as his earthly representatives of authority until we are first as a church and as believers and as men and women together willing and ready to mimic his humility in the world. The the bottom line for us, when when you're talking about marriage, the bottom line for us, that a marriage done well should paint a picture of Christ's sacrifice. He gave his all, so should we. And the idea of talking about singleness in life, if you're not in a marriage context, and this passage of Scripture doesn't seem to speak as clearly to you, the idea of singleness in life, the bottom line, if it's lived out faithfully, it should paint a picture of Christ's sufficiency, that he is all we need in plenty and in want. Christ is enough. 
And both of those, any kind of relationship that you find yourself in, both of those, ultimately the idea of marriage and singleness and everything else in between, both of those are ultimately a bridge to love and to faithfulness. And you know what that gets you combined? Hope. When a married couple wins, when when a married couple wins and they live out their marriage sacrificially before God and for other people, they are a source of life for one another and the world of onlookers around them, and it leads to hope. When a single person wins and they live out their life connected to a faith-filled community knowing that singleness does not have to equal loneliness and others look on and they see that kind of life of faith well lived, it points them to hope. You know, back when I was singing that song in my head, Yesterday is Plain Awful, you can say that again. In my head, I thought it was part of the most famous song from the musical Annie, Tomorrow the Sun Will Come Out, Tomorrow. That one is one that you hear often. And I thought that, okay, Yesterday is Plain Awful, you can say that again, was just some part of the song that I didn't really know. And so I looked up the lyrics and I realized, nope, it's a whole different song. Together at last. Like, it's a whole different song towards the end of the musical. They don't really, and I think you can make a really fun mashup of the two. Like, yesterday was playing awful, the sun will come out too. Like, I think you could put those together really, really easily. And so I looked up the idea of, like, a bridge to a song. Because it's just, you see where the rabbit trail goes. And especially when it's, like, 4.30 in the morning. A musical bridge is this, according to Wikipedia. It's a passage of the music that contrasts the verse and the chorus. We need some contrast in our lives. It's generally used to take the listener from one section to the next. In popular Western music, it's literally after the second chorus before you get to the final chorus or the end of the song. You're just building a bridge from one place to the next. I encountered a lady named Sally Hoogstra this year. I didn't know her before I started reading this book called Uncommon Ground. And she's the national director of the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities. And she says this, like a physical bridge... A relational one requires a strong anchor in two different places, one's own faith and values and one's neighbor's best interest. A really strong anchor in both places, loving your neighbor or your church family or your children or your spouse or your stranger across the planet is easiest. Loving someone is easiest when there's very little difference. When there are no contentious issues between you and when your lifestyle matches theirs, when they, when they believe like you do, vote like you do, shop where you do, have the same economic status you do, send your, their kids to the same schools, basically agree with and validate everything about you and reflect all of your own interests back to you like looking in a mirror. The smaller the gap between two people, the easier the bridge is to build. But the biggest need for bridge building in our homes and in this community and around the world, the biggest need for bridge building is where the gap is the biggest. Where you don't understand the other person, when you feel like the other person is your opponent, when you feel like it might even be somebody that hates you. And then she says this, the degree of difficulty in loving our neighbor doesn't excuse us from loving that neighbor. Maybe some of you today in this room are saying, well, I, I do need the marriage talk. I, I do need the, 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 the vitamin for where we are at home just to kind of revitalize where we've been. The degree of difficulty in loving your spouse well doesn't excuse you from loving your spouse well. The degree of difficulty 
from loving your super far left or super right wing church brother or sister or employee or stranger or neighbor or person across the world, the degree of difficulty in loving that person does not excuse you from loving that person. There was a giant gap, the biggest, between us and God. And, and there was a willingness from God through his son, Jesus Christ, to bridge that gap with his very life so that we could have hope, so that we could be healed, and so that we together could be a place of hope and healing for the rest of the world. That's what this church grand opening is all about. That, that's ultimately what this series is about. That's what Rolling Hills as a church and a mission is about. That's what this wedding ring is about. That's what our church partnership covenant is about. That's what this word of scripture calls us to, whether we're talking about the man-woman relationship, whether we're talking about this church family relationship, whether we're talking about our outreach relationship to the neighbors around us who are not here and don't want to be here yet. It's certainly what we're called to do in faith, to bridge the gap, to be a people of hope. We want to give love. We, we, we want to show hope. We want to bring peace. We want to share truth. We want to say, hey, this right here, it means more than what you think it does. It, it means more than what you have heard it means. It means more than the lies that you have somehow believed. And we also believe that your story, your life, your past, your history, your truth, everything that there is about you, it means more than you think it does. And it paves a way for anything that God deems possible to happen, no matter how difficult or far off it may seem for us. The world needs that piece of hope in 2020. We need that reminder of hope in 2020. Where are you? Who are you? Where'd you grow up? What do you do? Do you have a boyfriend? I'm just kidding. Do you have hope? And courageously, what we would want to ask is, do you want to? Because we know where you can find it. We're going to watch a music video that our team made for the song that we've debuted this month. And I really would love for it to be a place of reflection where you just kind of sit back for a moment and ask yourself the question, hey, do I really have hope? Do I really understand that God wants to say more to me and do more in me than I ever thought possible? And what is it that he wants from me next? I'm the product of all the yesterdays, but tomorrow is not defined by that. And it's only limited by my ability to put my hope in Jesus and seek him with everything that I have. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to be in this place and to examine these words and to trust your truth and to say, you really are a God of impossible things. And you have offered us an incredible hope in your son Jesus and you have called us and equipped us and named us to be a place of hope for the rest of the world. We know that your word says more than what we think it says about our homes and about our families, about our relationships, 
also says a whole lot more than what we think it says about you and your ability to love and forgive and use people to bring you pleasure and to share your hope with the world. So Father, I pray that you would release us from the past and help us to celebrate everything that we know you can do in the future as more than anything else. We see you and recognize that you are a God of hope. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray today. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills and what's going on in our church, you can download our app. Also, you can visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening at the church and ways that you can connect. Thanks for listening. We're so thankful for you.